0: Today's episode is with Dan McGaw, who's the owner of McGaw.io. It's an analytics and marketing technology consultancy. And really what they do, and what we'll be talking about today, is how do you use the right programs, the right tools, the right technology to drive your marketing decisions? How do you make sense of it all? And more importantly, what do you need and what do you not need to really figure out how to get that next customer to your door? Talking about all that and more on today's episode, stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. Today, we have Dan McGaw on the show. And we're going to be talking about how the heck do you make sense of all the marketing tools out there that actually is going to bring you more sales, more revenue, and people to your digital doorstep. Dan's the founder of McGaw.io. He's the founding father of the tech stack, which we're going to be talking about today. He's also one of the original growth hackers. We're going to be diving into his history and where that brings us today. Dan, it's great to have you on the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Whereabouts are you uh, phoning in from? Yeah, I'm in Orlando, Florida. Okay. How's the weather?
1: It's actually pretty rainy. Uh, it's been pretty interesting. I think for the past like five days, we've had like nonstop rain, uh, which isn't always typical. We have rain every day, but today it's it's still pretty rainy, but it's it's hot humid. Uh, typical Florida weather, right?
0: It's interesting. I had someone on the podcast yesterday from Portland and I was like, oh yeah, so was probably pretty breezy and nice. And she was like, oh God, no, it's 115 <laughs> degrees and miserable. So I guess you never really know these days.
1: No clue. Right. I had no idea it would get so hot over there, but I have team <laughs> members in Portland and they're like, Oh my gosh, can we come to Florida? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cause it's crazy over on the West coast right
0: now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah, so I'm Dan Maga. I'm the CEO, and founder of Maga.io. I also own another company called UTM.io. But I've been in the marketing technology space for over 20 years, so I've just seen a lot of stuff around this space. I've been sending mass emails since before there was even mass emails, so I've just been around. Um, but I'm a serial entrepreneur that's owned multiple different companies, sold a couple, raised a bunch of funds, stuff like that. So uh, I've just been kind of been around the block a few times.
0: So you've been in the game for a long time. I did read one of your case studies on you, you mentioned yourself mass email on um, one company in particular that you had grown their email list by thousands of people. It seems like you probably have a lot of different interests and things that excite you in the entrepreneurial space and the startup space. How do you hone in on focus on what to really spend your time on?
1: Yeah, you know, I think really you have to follow your passions at the end of the day, what gets you really excited. I actually had a company before I started this one, which really made me realize that I had started a mobile app company in the convenience store and gas industry space. It's been about five years working on that. And to finally get to the end and be like, this sucks. Um, And I didn't like it at all. It was kind of miserable. I didn't like the people in the industry. I didn't like the industry. Like I was an outsider. Um, So everything I focus on is really around my passion. So like all of our additional companies that we're building now, all of them are focused on the marketing and marketing technology space. And that's really where my passion is. I love working with marketing. I love being able to get consumers to be able to do an action based upon different things. I love data. So all of our investments that we make now, all of the companies that we start now are in the marketing technology space, because that's where I'm ultimately passionate. So I do try to to limit it. But I, I will say, uh, I try to focus as much on my family as I can. So I don't make nearly as, bet- as many bets as I used to.
0: <laughs> well, something that's interesting about what you're doing now, the marketing game feels, it feels really overwhelming especially for the, the new business owner, the startup founder. Um, I think a lot of us who maybe we have been long-term entrepreneurs who we, we like to talk about, you know, our history of entrepreneurship, even some of us will act like we really understand marketing super well. And yet, it's not uncommon that we find ourselves in over our head. How have you made sense of all this?
1: Yeah, uh, honestly, I, I would just say I haven't. Um, so I mean, the the big thing that I think people try, you, you can't be an expert in everything, right? So you really have to kind of understand and know your lane. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of different places in marketing and I don't know a lot about most of them, right? So that's one of the key things is like, I'm not an expert in everything. I Don't get me wrong, I'm a generalist. I'm a T-shaped marketer. I go really, really deep in analytics and marketing uh, technology. But when it comes down to how to leverage all of these tools extremely, extremely well, I'm probably the wrong guy. Um, so like I'm not Marketo certified I'm not Salesforce certified so like don't get me wrong I have team members who can do that um, but I I know a lot about uh, I know a little about a lot and then I know a lot about one main subject so uh, it is really, really hard to digest all of these things as a small business owner. And, you know, that's one reason why contractors and freelancers are so helpful is because they they do know those things a little bit better. Um, but it's it's really about trying to stay focused, right? Focus on what you can do. Don't try to overextend and limit. I think the, the biggest problem that I see companies do is they continue to add more new things. And it's like, honestly, focus on maximizing one channel before you move on to the other seven.
0: You know, as as business owners, we do get really... Easily distracted and frankly really excited. Uh, it's it's not uncommon that maybe we're scrolling through you know LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, what have you, and a particular digital marketer says, "Oh, it's so easy! Like, hey, if you're not focused on." TikTok, you got to get all in on TikTok for everything you have at TikTok, and so you know the aspiring business owners like, oh my gosh, yeah, and you know they're going to sleep and thinking about, you know, tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to jump onto that channel. So this sort of feature creep happens a lot. You know, you are a a a business that is supporting other businesses. How do you help keep people um, not distracted and focused on whatever goals you guys have set out to accomplish?
1: Yeah. We, I mean, definitely there's a uh, shiny object syndrome that happens all the time, it, even more so in marketing tech because here comes some sales guy and some marketer who's got a great spiel and they have this tech that will make your business amazing uh, or some consultant that comes along and tells you TikTok is the next thing. And I just have to say, I'm a big fan of TikTok. I'm on TikTok all day long. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely like what makes me happy in between my meetings uh, when I need a quick break. So, um That being said, though, I mean, at the end of the day, what we always try to push back to is what are our objectives? What are the key results that are going to help us reach those objectives? And then how do we stay narrowly focused on that? And, you know, I think that's a key part of strategy that most companies just don't listen to. And when you distill strategy down to its simplest form, strategy, strategy is simply knowing what I'm going to say no to. Um, And I think that's really, really hard for an entrepreneur is even being able to say no. I mean, in in our culture, it's natural. Oh, yeah, I'll help. Oh, yeah, I'll do this. And you keep saying yes. But the greatest skill you can really build is just saying no, right? Mm -hmm. And even being a pessimist about some of these things. So um, we always attach back. What are our objectives? What are our key results? Uh, And then how do we focus on those things? And then how do we say no to the things that aren't going to help us do that? Um, And then how do we not believe the hype? I mean, I think that's where a lot of people get really, really focused is, there's a lot of hype out there and most of that hype is, is BS. Um, so, really look at your objectives, look at your key results, look at the proven things that are going to get you there and trust on those proven things. Uh, And the last thing, and I'll just add on that is stop trying to be an innovator. Um, Mm. At the end of the day, one of the reasons why I'm a millionaire is because I was not the innovator out front. I went went and let 500 other people ruin their businesses and overexpend (laughs) on this cool innovation stuff. And then I waited for them to learn. And then I was like, hey, how'd it go? And they're like, oh man, I spent all this money. I did all these things. And I have clients pay me to do innovation stuff all the time against my advice. And I'm like, sure, I'll take your money because you're going to pay me $100,000. But at the end of the day, like we wind up spending all this money to be innovative and barely got any good return out of it. So innovation is great. But being on the bleeding edge um, as a business it doesn't make sense. Just like I still build my websites in WordPress. I don't use Webflow. Why? Because WordPress is cheap. WordPress mm-hmm. does the job. It gets things done. It makes me money. I can move quickly. Yeah. Um, so don't feel like you need to be uh, an innovator all the time. Uh, Don't get caught up in the hype and uh, learn how to fucking say no. Uh, That's, that's huge. I say no to everything. My first response to every question I get is no. So, and then I think, okay, is this good later?
0: is that kind of, I mean, I'm assuming it's, is it ego that keeps like, so let's think about like a business owner who hires you or, or maybe not even is, isn't even at the point of hiring someone yet, but they just know they're not good at something or they know that they're yeah. trying to be that cutting edge. You know, we're going to try it. You know, f- a great example would be, I was talking to someone who for their business, they were looking at, really expanding to this one channel that they had no business expanding to. And I said, well, you know, maybe it's not really worth your time. And they were like, oh, well, we got to, everyone else is doing it. Like we have to, we're going to get left oh. behind. So like, how often have you seen like this? Um, I don't know if it's panic. I don't know if it's ego. I don't know if it's just like following FOMO? the crowd. I, yeah, I guess it's FOMO. I mean, But especially you as, as a support to other businesses, do you find yourself having to really push back or convince people? Or is it kind of just like, okay, you've made your bed. I guess we're just going to roll with it. I mean, what does that look like? (laughs)
1: Well, uh, people definitely make their bed. It's a that's a common uh, term that I use all the time. So, but um, yeah, we push back. That's actually one of the big things about us is um, we hire very very senior people that work here as consultants, and we tell other CEOs like, no. I mean, I've I've been in a meeting with a CEO before, and he overruled everybody in the conversation uh, out of fifteen other people. And I said, listen, like this is that moment in time. You've got to shut the fuck up, and you've got to start listening to the experts. And you just rolled your entire team, but you're making a really bad decision. And you can fire me as your consultant if you don't agree with me. But at the the end of the day, I'm here to make your business more money and I'm not here to make you feel good. Uh, So at the end of the day, you know, people want to feel good. They want to belong. They want to do what everybody else is doing. That's natural human nature. Um, That's really, really, I mean, if you look at evolution, how the humans have evolved, I mean, that's natural for us, right? So um, it's really the people that are out doing their own thing that are really making kind of their more money, right? So Following the herd, yes, there is some some part to that, which is helpful. But at the same time, the people that are unique and doing something a little bit different are typically the ones that are ultimately become the bigger winners. So, mm. uh, But yeah, I would definitely say a lot of it has to do with ego. A lot of it has to do with kind of uh, I don't want to look wrong. Yeah. I don't want to fail. I don't want to miss out. There's a lot of FOMO. Uh, we see that a lot where I don't want to miss out on this opportunity. They're giving me this deal. Um, it, you know, there's a cognitive bias when people are, uh, I'm going to miss out on this yeah. and there's scarcity and there's, there's only 10 days left. All of that stuff is used against you. I mean, we have, we literally have a PDF that our entire team has on their desktop to show them all the cognitive biases they can use when they're in a meeting. There's 21 of them. So like, um, really, uh, people just get caught up in hype. I mean, they want to be like everybody else. And, you know, uh, I don't. I mean, I'm covered in tattoos. I don't want to look like everybody else, right?
0: <laughs> well, that's something I like that you said was the, the power of no. And I, I so appreciate your description of strategy because we we kind of make strategy this really, you know, like, oh, how do I be more strategic? And I love how you've boiled it down to essentially you're deciding, okay, what am I not going to do? Or like, what, how am I going to focus my energy? You've been in the entrepreneurial space for a long time. What are some of the things you've had to say no to?
1: Oh, God. I mean, I, I, it's probably easier to the things I wish I would have said no to. Um, so, um, I mean, I, I say no to investments all the time, for sure. I say no to starting new projects, new campaigns. Uh, I say no to a lot of things inside the company, buying tools and stuff like that. You know, I think the biggest thing that I end up having to say no to is, of course, is buying new things, right? Even being, I mean, I'm married. I have three kids. Even, even talking to my wife about, like, having to do something around the house. I'm like, no, can we, like, push that to this other time? Like, it just doesn't make sense right now. Um, I mean, I say no so much that it makes a little hard to point out, uh, the things that I say no to, um, as a CEO, my job is to sometimes say no to everything. Um, but I, I, can definitely say things, you know, um, Uh, You know, one of the things I think that's great for entrepreneurs is, you know, something I wish I would have said no to more was one of the reasons why we don't have any investors or venture capitalists in my current company. Uh, We're a service based business. We're growing like crazy, 100 percent year over year revenue growth, which is amazing. Uh, We could go out and raise capital. Um, But one of the things that happened in a couple of the companies that I've been in with VCs and having a board um, is I've gotten a lot of bad advice and I wish I would have been strong enough or had enough courage back then to tell my VC, no, we're not going to do that or no, mm-hmm. I don't think that's good advice. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of situations where I've trusted my advisor or I've trusted my investor because I thought they knew more than me because they were older or smarter mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, And, you know, my last company, Fuelzy, uh, I should say my last company, it was a couple companies ago, but uh, Fuelzy, I listened to my investor and my investor gave me some really bad advice that I knew was wrong, but I was too much of a pansy to say something. And I should have said, no, that's bad advice. And we followed his advice and it put us out of business. And same thing, similar happened to us at Kissmetrics. Uh, We listened too much to our investors. We listened too much to some people uh, and we should have said no. Um, So I think it's easier for you to point out the times I wish I would have said no than to tell you. What do I typically say no to? Because I say no to everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is an interesting segue in the conversation because it feels like when we talk about startup culture and especially when it comes to you know finding that next big service or product you're going to offer, it feels like the majority of the conversation in the startup world is around um, your VC funding. And I was talking to someone yeah. who they said, "Hey, I'm looking for some startup help," and I said, "Yeah, well, let's 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 find some good resources for you know crafting your MVP and like validating your idea." And he, and he cut me off and was like, "No, no, no, I mean like help me with like my pitch deck." And the more and more I've talked to people, the more this conversation on startup success seems to revolve around the pitch deck and pitching investors. And, and I get it, I get it from like the concept of you know you're trying to raise capital for the business. But it feels like something's missing here, especially a business like your own that's bootstrapped and you have made it customer focused. And what does the customer really need? Do you see this this disconnect as well? I mean, what's, what's going on in the startup world?
1: Oh, my God, it's pathetic. It's absolutely sad. It, <laughs> you know, business is about solving a customer's problem and earning revenue from them by solving their problem. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in many businesses, if you start out with doing hand-to-hand combat services um, compared to building your product, you can still solve that problem and then learn even more about that problem to then go build your product, but then to self-fund it. Um, so, you know, I think companies are, the, the goal now is more focused on, hey, can I raise money compared to can I make revenue? Uh, and it really frustrates me. Uh, my last company, Fuelzy, which was venture-backed, we went and literally sold the product to gas stations and convenience stores off of a a Photoshop version on Envision app, right? So it was just a prototype. Mm -hmm. And we already started working with buyers and starting to generate revenue before we ever even went to go raise money. And we even raised money off of a, a, a prototype, right? So like um, we won money at contests. <laughs> like, I mean, we were going to pitch contests and just winning the contest and winning money. We didn't get VC or anything like that. We were just trying to figure yeah. out how do we generate cash without getting VCs. Um, uh, and I learned a lot from that lesson in the fact of like that whole model of just going after VCs is really stupid. Um, you don't have to do that. Um, you can definitely start a company without raising VC capital. You can build a business, you can generate revenue, and you should be focused on the customer first. And I think a lot of times people are like, I have this idea. I have this problem and then I'm going to go sell to a VC and I'm going to raise money and then I'm going to go solve it. However, most times they find out their their solution sucks for the problem anyways. They're not close enough to the customer. So it's actually much better if you go sell the solution, get somebody to buy it um, and then use that as a way to build it. And um, UTM.io, one of my companies, um, we, of course, bootstrap that as one of our companies, use our profit from our company to help get the initial development up. But whenever a customer's like, I want this feature, um, we're like, sweet. Well, if you sign up for the enterprise plan, what we're going to do is we're going to tack on uh, an amount to your, your plan and we're going to build that in the next 90 days. But the customer actually has to pay us to build that feature. Um, we just did it. Uh, so they're paying us $2,000 additional a year. Once they start, they'll be with us for a few years. We built this feature for them. They now love it, um, but we didn't have to pay for it. Yeah. customers will pay you to build a product that solves their problem. You don't need a VC, go sell it. They'll pay you. They'll give you a check to build it and solve their problems. Yes. Still got to pitch. You still got to do the things, but I think pitching VCs, I mean, you don't need a, uh, and I hate to say it this way, but you don't need a bunch of rich old white men to tell you what to do when they usually have no idea what you're doing. Um, so the first stage should be generate revenue, generate sales, Yeah, I get the point of a VC, but it should be the first goal. I think it's kind of pathetic that startups only focus on that now.
0: Yeah, I love your approach of of honing in on the customer's problem and wanting to solve it. It it just feels like so many people are like they almost run in the opposite direction of where their customers are. You know, they they you're working on that pitch deck. um, When we get to like conversations on what does your potential customers think, a lot of times it's it's answers like, "Oh, well, my mom really likes it," you know, and it's like, "Well, your mom's." Your mom's not your customer. So uh, it's it's great advice that you're giving. And also I appreciate, you know, we're talking essentially about validating an idea and like actually validating it, which a lot of people, when we talk about validation, they say, you know, my buddy told me it's a great idea. Or I, you know, asked like a group of random strangers. And they said, yeah, I love it. What you're talking about is customers who are coming to you saying, hey, we'd like this new feature, and they are validating it by actually putting money down into your pocket and showing that they really value it. Uh, So I I just appreciate your approach to that and your approach to innovation with that. Because not everyone does it.
1: No. And, you know, um, you know, I definitely can't take all the credit. I learned this a lot from Eric Reese and Steve Blank and doing customer development. And I think the biggest failure that I see entrepreneurs and startups do is they go to somebody with a solution and say, hey, what do you think? At the end of the day, humans are going to be nice. If you've ever read the book by Dale Carnegie, right? Like how to make friends and build influence. Nobody's going to be like, oh, your idea sucks, right? Because they they don't want to hurt your feelings. Um, so at the end of the day, like if you really want to find if a problem is going to be successful, you need to do proper customer development. You need to people ask questions about their problem and get really, really deep into the problem. Don't tell them the solution. Ask them about the promise. Get deep with that. And then after you've discovered that the problem is real, then you can maybe say, well, how would you fix that? Or if you could do something about that, what would you do? And they'll tell you how to solve the problem. They just don't have the means to actually build it or do right. it. Um, And a lot of people do it the exact opposite. They're like, ah, I know gas stations suck. So I'm going to create this app that tells you cheap gas prices and everybody's going to love it. Well, come to find out, like it, it doesn't fucking matter. Right. (laughs) Like, like you've got to, you've got to be much closer to the customer.
0: Yeah. Something else I want to ask you about with this is sometimes it feels like when people have this conversation with the customer and the customer gives, uh, some people are very nice and they say, oh, I really like it. It's really great. And then they disappear when it's time to actually buy. There's other people it feels like who are the opposite where they say, oh, that would never help me. Oh, I don't like that idea. Oh, it's not useful for me. And it seems like we as startup founders, a lot of times we write that off with, Oh, that customer just didn't get it. Uh, It just didn't make sense to them. Oh, they're not our target customer, even though they really are. How have you given advice to other startup founders to really do a good job of collecting feedback and letting customers drive that product creation process without having thin skin, getting your feelings hurt, you know, letting your ego drive it, you know, what does that, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, you know, and some people that's really really hard. Don't get me wrong, like I have a big ego. I've got a super big head. Like I've done some cool stuff. So, I totally get it, but I think humility and being humble about these things is also really really important. At the end of the day, it's not about you, it's not about your baby, it's about what the customer is willing to pay for. And you really do have to build it into kind of being an objective kind of thing that you can talk about separately of yourself. It always sucks when somebody calls your baby ugly. Don't get me wrong, I've heard it plenty of times. Um, and it, it's it's always but you've got to get over that and understand that it's not about you, it's not about what you're trying to accomplish accomplish is about what the customer is willing to pay for and what the customer is trying to accomplish. I think a lot of people get it kind of asked backwards. Uh, they focus too much on themselves. I'm going to build this and I'm going to prove them wrong. And, you know, at the right. end of the day, it's, it's really not about proving somebody wrong. It, right. Yeah. I mean, you might want to prove your boss wrong. I can do this. Right. But at the end of the day, like you can't prove a customer totally wrong when they're saying I'm not willing to pay for your product. I think it's a stupid idea. If anything, you should be doing fact finding. OK, well, what is your problem and how would you go about solving it? Um, you know, I, I did a course. I, so I started the first business accelerator here in Orlando called Starter Studio many years ago. Uh, and this was a course that I taught was how to do proper customer development in our accelerator, because at the end of the day, most people are like, you got a problem, I'll show you my solution. And that's kind of the wrong way to go about it. Um, and the f- if anything, your goal should be finding that customer who calls your, your baby ugly. Like That is your goal. Find mm-hmm. that customer that hates your product and learn as much as you can from that customer. Um, that's really the goal. The goal is to get bad feedback. And I think even my team has a hard time with this at work. Um I don't, I don't wanna to be told that something I did was good. Like I I already know it's good. Like that's my problem, right? Like I, I've done this for so many years. I know it's good. I wanna know what's wrong. And I wanna yeah. know every tiny little meticulous thing that I could have did better. That's really where you have to frame the product and the product cycle or building a business is your job is to find out what's wrong and then fix it. Your job is not to hear, oh, it was great. Yeah, yeah. obviously that's a part of the business. But the fact that you can hear from your customers, that sucked the faster you can fix the problem. Uh, and that's a huge problem in business now is people won't tell you things suck, right? They won't tell you, hey, I didn't like it. They just don't come back. Yeah. Um, so you really have to be hyper-focused on finding those customers that are going to be like, hey, you're, you're, that was bad. And then listening to them <laughs> and exploring that.
0: Yeah. It makes me think of one business who they were collecting a uh, survey feedback and they had like a small stack of surveys they hadn't gone through. And I was like, well, what are, what are those surveys? And they're like, oh, those are the people who we knew like hated us, like had an awful experience. <laughs> uh, so we just, we just kind of throw those out. And that was their oh, approach God. to business was, you know, eh, you know, we're just going to self-service ourselves with these really positive um surveys and just ignore the negative ones, which I think gets more and more common these days. Oh, my God.
1: Well, I will say this. I do have a hack for surveys because naturally, like my book, if you uh, check out my book, it's called Build Cool Shit. It's how to build a marketing tech stack. And I'll teach you a little bit of a trick. So when we send the follow-up email to people like, hey, how do you review the book, right? When in the email, there's one to five stars and you click on, oh, if it was one stars, that one star directs you to our website to give us feedback on it, right? So we can collect that feedback. That's really important because my next book, I'm going to use that feedback. Mm -hmm. However, if you're four or five stars, we don't send you to our website. We send you to goodreads.com so you can leave a good review online. So while I would agree, sometimes you need to maneuver where those people go to give yourself a better image, maybe on public social media, um, you should be listening to that critical feedback. Like I would, yeah. I literally, if you leave me one star in my book, like I want to be like, I'll pay $5 to give me one star and give me critical feedback, but yeah. naturally I'll get a bunch of one stars for no good reason.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great hack. And it's, it's like, you know, if I know someone's gonna give me five stars, I'll send them to like the Google review page. But the one star definitely goes to SurveyMonkey. And <laughs> all right, tell me what tell me what's going on here. So yeah, let's let's talk about your 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 latest business right now. Maga.io. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit more about what you're doing for businesses on a day to day basis. You mentioned the tech stack. We're talking about marketing tools that people can use to be to essentially make themselves more money. Let's talk a little bit more about literally the actual services that you're doing for businesses today.
1: Yeah. So I mean it comes down to one one or or it comes down to two problems, right? So either people lack visibility in their customer journey and we help them get measurements so they can see what their customers are doing during that journey. And then or it's, hey, we want to increase our conversions during that customer journey, and we ultimately help them increase those conversions by leveraging marketing technology, automation, personalization. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, though, it's a lot of choosing of tools for companies, integrating those tools, operating those tools, and then using the tools to grow their business. At the end of the day, businesses are all software, right? Like everything inside of it from QuickBooks to Salesforce to Marketo, it's all integrated tools that have to be connected. So where we really specialize is coming up with a suite of tools that are going to help you grow your business because the average company is using around 35 different marketing technologies on a daily basis. So there's a lot of tools out there. So we help choose the right tool for you to accomplish your objectives, and then we integrate those tools, help you get trained on how to use them and then naturally, how are you gonna use that tool for growth? So it's a lot of integration work of analytics. We do a ton of Google analytics, a lot of uh, different stuff around that, including like Amplitude and Mixpanel, really, really uh, custom analytics, also business intelligence works. But it's also a lot of work of setting up marketing automation tools, setting up the CRM, connecting everything together so it can work, building out direct mail campaigns that are integrated in with Marketo and Salesforce. So it's a lot of operational work inside of these tools that, you know, just a general marketer doesn't know how to do. And, you know, we work at a a really, really high level. I mean, a lot of our companies are billion dollar companies, like everybody from we've worked with everybody from Kings Hawaiian Bread to Service Titan to Eventbrite, like and Maserati, like we've worked with a ton of companies but we also have a lot of startups that we work with too where we're working with smaller stacks that are maybe using an active campaign or a HubSpot. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's definitely a lot of integrating of tools to help them achieve some sort of marketing campaign whether that's personalization marketing yeah. automation text messaging things like that
0: uh, do you ever have conversations with like a startup for example who maybe they have too many uh Uh, marketing tools that they're using where they have, you know, 20, 30, 40 different programs, and they really can slim down to be more efficient or more targeted in their approach?
1: Yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, I think there's definitely two worlds. You either have the best of breed stack, right, where you have a bunch of different tools, or you have the all in one suite where it's use one tool for mainly for everything. If you're a really technical small company, the best of breed tools can definitely work because best of breed will give you a lot more growth if you have a really technical person. But with a small company that doesn't have somebody who's really technical, we definitely push to be in that all-in-one suite. But most companies who do the best-in-breed route have multiple overlaps in their tools. Um, so there's a lot of overlapping of tools. There's a lot of paying for things you don't need. Um, so you really have to kind of keep a gut check on what are we using? What are we paying for? What value are we getting out of it? Because a lot of people will be like, oh, I can't lose this tool. It's $90 a month, and I use it once a month. And it's like, but what are you doing with it? Yeah, you yeah. use it. It makes you feel good. And that's, that's a problem with a lot of marketers is our ego. It makes us feel good about something, but does it actually drive revenue or does it help us understand how to drive revenue? And that's where you got to start, start pulling the plug on all of these tools.
0: Speaking of, of one branch of tools in general, this concept of, of automating your business, automating messaging, things like that. What's the balance between automation and still having that personal touch for when you're reaching out, you're prospecting, reaching out, reaching out to prospective customers. I mean, I got a message from someone the other day on LinkedIn, which, you know, DM messaging is pretty much a cesspool of, you know, pitch (laughs) after pitch after pitch. But, um, I got this message from one person that said, um, hi Blake, this is an automated message. Isn't automation cool. And I guess on one side, I was like, okay, yeah, this is kind of cool. This person is, is sending me an automated message. But then on the other side, I was like, but also, this is just a generic message that was sent out. So, yeah. so how, do you, how does the, the, the startup founder protect their time and be efficient with automated tools and yet still communicate the power of individuality to their prospective customers?
1: Oh man, it's hard. It's so hard. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. So I'm so known for automation that literally my personalized emails don't even get read. Uh, Like I literally have like wrote in my buddies like, Hey man, happy birthday. And then like followed up like, Hey, did you get my email? He's like, yeah, but I ignored it because it was automated. I was like, no, I literally wrote you a happy birthday email with a gift. He's like, Oh, so a lot of people um, just don't um, (laughs) know how to automate. And you know, i am I'm known for that as well. At the end of the day, we're such a stage of automation that we can sniff out when it's not a human, right? And then right. at the same time, our natural, if you're in the marketing space or anything like that, naturally, we automatically, well, this was automated, right? So you really have to use that human element. Um, and we actually pay, um, we have executive assistants here that help my VP of sales to come up with that personalization to prove it's not automation. So once it, once that sniff of automation is there, you really lose um, that touch on it. So you really have to be much, much more authentic. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why our business is doing so freaking well right now. Like we're sold out until October, which is great. And it's because we take that authentic route. We pay the extra money. We take the extra time to do that authentic stuff. Um, don't get me wrong. It's a, uh, we have a VA out of the Philippines that does the research and preps the email. And then mm. my VP of sales reads it and sends it. But, you know, most small businesses can afford a $10 an hour uh, person to process those things and help them do some of that. And there's definitely tools to do it, but you're going to make more progress with being authentic and being human compared to over automation. And then going back to the example of those email things, there's a tool called Mixmax and Mixmax is by far one of the best small business outreach tools, also works for the enterprise. The way that they allow you to build sequences uh, is really, really powerful because you can basically import a CSV of all the data you have. It will then say, okay, great. Here are all the emails you're gonna send. And then you can click on them. They're all pre-built out using your templates and automation. You can then click on one, and add your personalization to that for that specific customer. And it just makes the flow of adding that personalization so much easier. So 95% of the email is templated, right? And But it's that one line like, hey, oh. I noticed that you went to Brooks Brothers uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was pretty cool to see that on Instagram. My brother went there and I loved it, right? whatever. But you've got to open up with uh, something that's human, that feels personalized. Um, Or you've got to be able to be like me, who can over personalize to a certain extent where they're like, there's no way this was automated. (laughs) Um, Which uh, we are definitely well known for of having 27 attributes in an email that are all yeah. personalized so you get this email like holy shit they really did a lot of research and we were like nope that's all public on the internet we just have the tools to do it so um be a human that's the thing yeah. that i always tell people human
0: well and then something else you said that i really appreciate is this concept of being human like you don't have to necessarily because sometimes I, I talk to people they're like oh i just don't have the time for that and i'm like you're not you're not sleuthing on like their profile like finding out like where they were born and like what their life history is it really is that one detail uh you know hey Nice to meet you. By the way, I liked your last podcast episode on, you know, it's whatever the latest podcast episode was. But it's just enough to stand out and communicate that human element, uh, which I think spot on. So I,
1: I, was, would, I would give some advice though, though. I will sure. say this. Don't use the most recent. Go back three episodes, okay. right? And don't be the most recent because that's, that's, the, that's the lazy way. Uh, and I've learned <laughs> through failure that that doesn't work. If you do two episodes ago, uh, it definitely helps.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. That's great. Uh, well, we're running low on time. I want to ask you something about Maga and really your your future plans. You've you obviously you're a serial entrepreneur. You've started a multitude of businesses. You've been in entrepreneurship for a long time. Is Maga the final step? Is it the pinnacle business, or do you think you're going to find yourself um, getting eager to start another business?
1: Yeah, uh, so the whole point uh, when we accidentally started this company. So first, Magal.io wasn't the first company. We were called F&Amazing for about five years. We changed our name last year. Um, when we started this company, we didn't know what we were going to do. All we knew was is that we were going to take the profits from the agency and then we we're going to invest those into other products that we would build. So yeah. we've already built multiple products. We've shut a couple down. We have utm.io, which is one of our main SaaS products. It's used by from everybody from Shopify to Twitter to Landry's Restaurants. Like It's, it's really popular uh, campaign management. Management tool. So we have that company. We have about four other products right now, which we use internally, which we are using with as a team. We're beta using them out, trying to make sure that we understand them. We use them with our customers, and those will continue to be rolled out. Um, We did acquire a company last year. Um, So, Maga.io is eventually will just be Maga, but the whole point of the company is ultimately to become the the parent company, but to have multiple businesses under it. So, um, the goal is to make us a billion dollar consulting company like a Gartner, a Deloitte, a PWC. Um, However, a huge part Of our revenue should be coming from our software products. And the reason why we are doing this strategy is because as the consultant, we are being hired to solve the hardest problem in a company. We come in and we solve this problem over and over and over again. So we build a product that does it. Then that product is then something when the next customer comes, well, you should just buy our service. Um, And then we ultimately do that. So going back to the original conversation about customer development, our consulting company is really, um, we get to solve the world's hardest and funnest problems, and then we get to build services around that uh, and products and other things. So, um, this will be uh, one of my main focuses. I plan to start a bagel shop in the next two years, um, which <laughs> I've been working on. Again, that will be uh, that seems owned so by McDonald.io. So, that but seems yeah, so
0: random compared to everything else we've talked about. Totally. Uh, but You're I love the restaurant, man, business. I guess. Okay.
1: I love the restaurant <laughs> business. Um, so, but, uh, I'm definitely interesting enough, I'm not a bagel guy. Like I like them, but there's not like what I eat. Um, so either way, uh, long story said, I will continue to start new businesses. Uh, Maga will help fund them. We'll see what else comes out of it. But once you put your name on the company, you can't shut it down, uh, is one that's, of the things I said to me. That's what I was me. wondering. So,
0: was I, you know, we talked about ego and your name is on this business, so it seems like it's here I to stay. I didn't name it.
1: <laughs> what is great <laughs> is I have had this company for almost seven years and both of the names the company has been given, I didn't give it. Uh, my wife jokingly said we should call the first company or the first call it F and Amazing because she saw a TV show called F in science. I loved it. Uh, she named it. And then uh, my team actually decided that we would be called McGaugh and Associates. And we decided to drop the Associates. But my team was like, we should call it after you. You're the face. You, you're out there. Yeah. Um, so I didn't I didn't name it. So, um, But before we end, I know we're running out of time. I want to give everybody a free opportunity to get a copy of my book. Um, so I wrote a book a year and a half ago called Build Cool Shit. It's all about how do you build the marketing tech stack. So for a small business, this will really tell you how to get started and where to go. Um, but everybody can get a free copy. If you pull out your cell phone and you type in the number 415-915-9011. I'll say that again, 415-915-9011. And you just text the word FIRE to it. So F-I-R-E. What's going to happen is it's going to have a text bot that will walk you through the entire process to give us your first name, your last name, your address, and all that stuff. So that way you can get a free copy of the book. You just got to go through that process and make it nice and easy for you.
0: Awesome. And I'll make sure I put that number in the what to text down in the episode description. Uh, Dan, this has been awesome, man. Thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. This has been a ton of fun. Thanks for having me. Hey, for our listeners, like I said, I'll put that number down in the episode description below. I'll also put the website magada.io down in the episode description as well. And if you've been following the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? Make sure you click that subscribe button to keep getting good advice wherever you're at. And if you love the podcast, you want to support the podcast, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash good advice. You can even get your business advertised at the beginning of the podcast. Again, it's patreon.com slash good advice. Good luck to you. That's today's good advice. And we'll catch you later. See ya.